0: This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a weekly curated podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Dr. Sanj Kakar, an orthopedic surgeon with a specialist interest in hand and wrist disorders at Mayo Clinic's Rochester campus. Daily exercise has so many health and emotional benefits. It can help with decreasing your blood pressure, promote cardiovascular well-being, help with weight loss and blood sugar control and also alleviate some of the added stresses that we are all under today. Parkinson's disease is a condition that affects the central nervous system, and in particular, the brain, that can lead to shakiness, poor balance, and frequent falls. You may know somebody with Parkinson's disease, and some people you may have heard of with the condition include Muhammad Ali, Neil Diamond, and Michael J. Fox. Given the health benefits of exercise, how can exercise help Parkinson's disease patients? Joining us today is Dr. Edward Laskowski, who is professor within the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and Division of Sports Medicine and former co-director within Mayo Clinic Sports Medicine. Welcome to the show, Ed. Thanks so much, Sand. it's a pleasure to be here. So Ed, exercise is a broad term as we've discussed, and today we're talking about how it can help our patients with Parkinson's disease. Can you tell us about how it actually does this, especially regarding their symptoms? It's an amazing
1: tool, Sanj, and, and in fact, we have voluminous evidence that shows that exercise is really first-line treatment for Parkinson's. Really, at in, in our institution as well, when early-onset Parkinson's disease is identified or, or early Parkinson's, we have a special relationship with our neurology department. They get an exercise prescription first line. So we say exercise is medicine, movement is medicine, motion is lotion, but especially for Parkinson's. And again, not just one study, but we have voluminous evidence. There was a, a Parkinson's outcome project, which really validated the efficacy of exercise and, and how it helps. And and we don't know exactly all the mechanisms and how it helps, but we think that it very tangibly Create some substantial changes in the brain. As you may know, in Parkinson's disease, dopamine-producing neurons are gone. And and a lot of times, by the time of diagnosis, about 80% of these neurons are gone. But exercise seems to boost a lot of neuroprotective mechanisms. There's something called a a glial-derived neurotrophic factor, a GDNF, and exercise increases this. We've measured this basic science-wise. So there is something about the the way the neuromotor patterning of exercise, especially reciprocal motion exercise. And you may have heard of somebody using a stationary bicycle for an hour and and almost having four hours or days more of lasting benefit, somebody with Parkinson's. So um, it's been validated in multiple studies. There's real physiologic reasons why exercise can help. And you know what we're finding a lot of times, and, and with Parkinson's now, we've controlled the disease so much that people are, are dying with Parkinson's, not from Parkinson's. So we want to control all the other comorbidities that happen to all of us as we get older. As you said, increase that cardiovascular capacity, cancer protective effects of exercise, and, and bring that to the Parkinson's patients as
0: well. So, Ed, when I, when I first sort of thought about this and I was thinking about my clinical practice as a hand surgeon or as an orthopedic surgeon, when, when I see patients with Parkinson's disease, admittedly symptoms do vary, but I think about difficulty with coordination and risk of falling and bumping their head or breaking their wrist, for example. So, can you talk to us a little bit about that sort of concern regarding exercise in patients with Parkinson's disease? That's absolutely right, Sanj. Um, Stability and balance
1: are are extremely important for all of us, but especially in Parkinson's, those are the proprioception or the afferent input system is impaired. So stability and balance are impaired. The population is more at risk of falls and fall-related sequelae, as you imply, even hip fractures as well as wrist fractures and other comorbidities. And again, I, I tell this even with people without Parkinson's, stability is a separate system. We have the kind of the triad of fitness that everybody thinks of, we have cardiovascular conditioning, we have flexibility or range of motion about a joint and we have strength training. And that's our classic triad. But stability really is, I think it should be four because stability is a separate system and you can be very aerobically fit, but not stable. So you can be very strong, but not stable. In Parkinson's especially, it's important to get that system developed because the effects of Parkinsonism cause and create more sensation of imbalance, discoordinated movement, uh, tendency for falling. But again, as in all populations, if we train that in the Parkinson's patient, if we train and work on that system, we make that system better and we reduce the incidence of falls and, and very simple movement therapies. It doesn't have to be dramatic. And in fact, early on, we start with basic things like a single leg balance, and you can use support when you're first doing it. But but the more you do balance challenge exercise, the better you make balance and stability. And simple things like Tai Chi even has been shown to reduce the incidence of falls and hip fractures and, and help people in the Parkinson's population.
0: Yeah, Ed, I, I didn't really know that balance was a thing. I, as you said, flexibilities and strength training and aerobic conditioning, but I didn't know balance was a particular type of uh, training and conditioning. So you alluded to some, can you just discuss that a little bit about the stability training? Yeah.
1: So uh, the purpose of all that training uh, is to get the muscles to work in a coordinated fashion. An example, I had a 250 pound linebacker in my office. This guy could bench press 500 pounds, but uh, standing on one leg, I could push him over with a finger. So he was very strong with a bench behind him, but not stable. So in the same way, we have to challenge that system. So for him, we had to do a lot of balance challenge tasks. So for an individual with Parkinson's disease, we start out slow. So it may be just, again, standing on one leg, just picking that other leg up a little bit with support. So with either a a solid object or chair nearby, But the more you do that, the more you demand kind of challenge that balance system. So you demand that that one leg alone support, you're encouraging coordinated contraction of muscles. And we say the best brace we can give ourselves is our muscle brace, the best corset, our muscle corset. When those muscles are working together, that's when they stabilize a joint. So very simple things. And this can be even done in the water at first. uh, If there's mobility impairments, arthritis, things like that, comorbidities, but very simple things. And we progress that. Eventually you're standing on one leg and so if a patient is brushing their teeth, maybe at night you brush your teeth on one leg. But the more you do that, you're training coordinated contraction of the muscles that stays, that remembers. So that stability system is being enhanced. As we improve, we can get higher level challenges. And you may have seen BOSU balls and things like that, the half uh, circles that people can, and we have even some of our early onset Parkinson's patients on BOSU balls because we want that balance system to be challenged as much
0: as possible to get it to improve and to get them to be more stable and maintain that improvement. Parkinson's disease obviously can vary from very minor symptoms to more advanced. You mentioned it was a first line of treatment. Have you seen uh, examples of, where it's too late to get involved, or is there any time you can do this? It's
1: a great question, Sanj. And you know, like with exercise in general, we say it's never too late you breathe your last breath. So we really can make a difference at all stages. And, and really, if you just Google Parkinson's exercise, you'll see some amazing videos. You'll see these people who are very significantly impaired from their disease as far as their movement and their mobility. They'll do a stationary bike for a while and see them walk off the bike and it'll be unbelievable. So really the, the dramatic effects, and, and as you say, there's a continuum, but we can intervene at any stage. We like to get patients early. You mentioned Michael J. Fox, and he's very open about this. He was very depressed when he got diagnosed. It was right after the Back to the Future movies. And, and he, you know, he was like, oh, my life is over. And he went into a deep depression for a while. It wasn't until he got back into just life and exercise especially. And now he has a great foundation that has, again, a lot of great information on the effects of exercise and Parkinson's that that really got him back. So whether it's early, we like to make that intervention early because we can keep things going better longer. But at late stage, it's never too late. We can always make a difference to improve things.
0: And so with a lot of exercises, for example, aerobic conditioning, you sort of do a a programmed phase of how to do it and you need to do it on regular levels or you lose it. Same with this stability training. How often should one be doing this? Should one be working with a coach or a personal trainer? Mm -hmm. Initially, it's really good to have the assistance and expertise of
1: healthcare professionals who are familiar with Parkinson's. So my specialty, physical medicine and rehab for physicians and neurologists and our physical therapists, they do a great job at instructing people and in how to stage this and how to meet them where they are and, and give them tasks and, and exercises that are appropriate for their level. And very important thing, you know, we say with everybody, it's not practice that makes perfect, it's perfect practice. So we don't want bad movement patterns to get programmed in. We hear about things, but but especially in the Parkinson's population, if there are things we should worry about, if they, if they're compensating, if they're having some imbalances of strength and flexibility, we want to fix those and we want to address those. And then give people a a concise bang for your buck program that you can continue with. Because and and again, nobody has to, we don't want people doing an hour, two hours every day of of the same arduous exercise. We want to incorporate these things into what they do in life, like you mentioned the brushing your teeth on one leg, some of those things we can do. And then some of those things, as far as the aerobic conditioning, we can also incorporate into life activities that they would maybe do otherwise.
0: Well, I I find it hard enough to brush my teeth on two legs, Ed, (laughs) so I'll try try that tonight. But the, the other important thing that you've seen in your practice is how important the supportive network is for patients all patients, but especially Parkinson's disease patients. Have you seen the benefit also of the family taking part in these activities and how important is their support for this? I think it's a great point, And it's a crucial point.
1: I think when Parkinson's is first diagnosed, it, it really strikes to our hearts and it's like, oh boy, I have that. And this is what, you know, and I think it can really, it's life-changing, but if we can intervene with education With bringing people in who have Parkinson's and who are combating it and treating it so effectively with with the basic elements of exercise and all, I think that's incredibly helpful. And and I think exercise with the family, I mean, really for our, again, for our own selves, if we don't walk the walk, nobody else is going to do it. So if our family gets involved and they see how important exercise is for the person with Parkinson's and there can be family efforts at getting exercise integrated into life and into the family unit, you know, simple things. You know and, and our family we instead of sitting around a dinner table after dinner we walk so we talk about the day's events while we're walking so you can just think of a family member with parkinson's hey you know encouraging those types of behaviors and movement motion is lotion movement is medicine it's going to help them so when the family is on board i think it, it really helps the patient and also gives them hope i think the education and, and the support from family to show that that really you can perform at a very high level And we we can mitigate much of the effects of Parkinson's with this simple but complex but simple tool of exercise. It it doesn't have any side effects and and really can stave off the need even for medications for, for quite a long period in many patients.
0: Well, I mean, you're very fit, but I would say there are side effects with exercise. (laughs) Namely, your body is exhausted and tired the next day. So, uh, But anyway, so uh, initially you uh, went into the biology of how this can help. I think one of the things that our listeners would want to know is how does this slow down the progression of Parkinson's disease? Have you seen that? Have you seen that it actually halts it as opposed to medications? What have you seen with your research and your experience? Well, you know, one
1: of the things that we see is that the neuroprotective mechanisms seem enhanced by exercise and especially in the Parkinson's patients. So neuroplasticity, seems to be driven by exercise and activity. What do you mean by neuroplasticity? So in essence, the the ability of the neurons to generate new trophic factors that promote dopamine. Again, we said Parkinson's is a dopamine deficiency. So we can actually help neurons to produce and, and protect neurons from being dopamine damaged by exercise. Again, that neurotrophic factors, those GDNF, the glial derived neurotrophic factors, they're enhanced by exercise. They're actually increased. We measure increased levels. So those protective mechanisms, if dopamine can be saved and we can, it's just like almost, you think of osteoporosis and bone loss. If we can maintain bone, We can go into older age well, we can stave off osteoporosis. So if we can maintain the neuroprotective, if exercise maintains the neuroprotective effects and the neuroprotective factors in our body, some of which we probably haven't even identified yet that are helping, that can eliminate the loss of so much of the dopamine neurons and so mitigate the effects of much of the disease. We also find a specific effect on pain. Non-dopaminergic pain inhibitor pathways seem to be activated by exercise as they are in a lot of states, actually, but in Parkinson's as well. So we have neural preservation and pain reduction
0: as two evidence-based effects of exercise in Parkinson's. And just to clarify, uh, dopamine, is that chemical in the brain? Is that, is that what you mean? And when you say neurons, what just so people understand, what do you mean by Neurons. Neurons are the, the connectors, the kind of the
1: signals that, that take the messages. And, and dopamine is, is kind of like the lubricant and the fluid that makes those signals pass smoothly. So if there's less dopamine, then those signals aren't going to be transmitted as well. And we, you know, we hear of the, the tremors and the difficulty like we were talking about with movement and, and staggering and stepping and things like that. So if we can kind of preserve those neurons and preserve the energy for those neurons, the the gasoline, in essence, for those neurons with the dopamine, movement's going to be smoother and activities are going to be better. Ed,
0: is there anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to cover?
1: You know, when we exercise, we even combat some fatigue. I think depression, fatigue, you know, those all come, again, with this powerful diagnosis that we may get it's like, oh, boy, you know, we get depressed. and We don't want to do much. We figure, oh, boy. And, and we start going in that bad cycle the other direction. So, again, to encourage people that, boy, once we, once we start incorporating these things, we're going to combat the effects of fatigue. We're going to control depression. Exercise alone combats depression as effectively in some studies as Prozac or cognitive behavioral therapy, and especially in a, in a disease like Parkinson's that, that can be, hey, you know, I got this for a while. We can really help the mood state. We're definitely going to help the body state and some of those other things that can, that happen to all of us, you know, we still got to be aware of those because again, a lot of people die with Parkinson's, not from it. So we want to take care of the cardiovascular risk factors, the cancer risk factors and exercise exercises medicine. It really helps us to do that.
0: Well, Ed, you're always inspiring. I always learn so much from you. I learned also motion is lotion. I've never heard that one before. (laughs) I love that. We've been talking about the benefits of exercise in Parkinson's disease with Dr. Edward Laskowski. Thanks again, Ed, for your time. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please subscribe. Thank you very much.